Dunker Punks listeners, you're going to get an extra special uh, treat this this time around for the Dunker Punks podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this time, you don't get just one host, but you're going to get both the co-hosts for the Dunker Punks podcast. My name is Emmett Eldred. And I'm Nancy Fitzgerald. And we're the, uh, the two hosts for the Dunker Punks podcast. Um, we wanted to just host together this episode so we could go over... Um, a little bit about why the podcast is so meaningful for us and, and to talk about um, where it's going and, and how, how things are going with two hosts. That sounds great. And we hope that you'll let us know why it's meaningful to you because we would love to hear from you. Yes, absolutely. So I guess I'll start out by saying, Nancy, um, I was really excited when you asked me if I wanted to host the podcast along with you. But I have been wondering what, what kind of led you to make that decision to go ahead and ask me to do that. Well, Emmett, I figured anybody that had the forethought to jump out of the NYC convention and get the website, dunkerpunks.com, is definitely on the same page as I am. So I thought this is just perfect. When when it really came to me that the podcast would be the medium of of now uh, and who knows what will be in the future, I thought who else is involved in this? And, of course, it was you at the heart of DunkerPunks.com. So you are a natural. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed listening to the Dunker Punks podcast, um, and I enjoyed participating as a content producer and one of the things that always uh, stuck with me was all the, the wisdom and the real clarity that you added to your frames at the beginning and the end of episodes. Um, could you talk a little bit about what um, it's meant to you to be a host on this podcast and what you see as the real um, benefit that it adds to our denomination as we're going through these conversations? Sure. I, uh, I've been in ministry for... Um, like uh, 16, 17 years, something like that. And one of the, you know, you develop some frustrations along with all the excitement and the joy of working with people. Uh, 
And one of the frustrations is that we as Christians or human beings perhaps tend to um, build up some problems as we build an organization. I think we need an organization of some sort because we need each other. But sometimes I just want to strip it all away and get down onto the focus of saying, wait a minute, we're just about following Jesus. Can't we just do that? Never as easy as it sounds, but there are some aspects to what we put out in the podcast and what our, our great content producers like you have given us are, are a way of just looking into that desire to follow Jesus and to say, look, some of this stuff is just extra, extraneous. Some of it has been built up over the years. Can, can we strip some of it away and just talk about what it means to really follow Jesus in our lives, hard, joy, whatever comes? So I think that's what I um, fuels my excitement about the podcast, to know that there are people out there with the same vein saying, you know, how do we just do this together? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And I would just add, for me, one of the things that um, has been so significant for me just in my short time uh, helping to host this podcast is um, getting to hear all of the incredible stories that go on um, in the Church of the Brethren. Um, I felt like before I started doing this that I was pretty connected in the Church of the Brethren, and, and something I've learned as a, the host of the Dunkin' Punks podcast is how wrong I was and how much vibrance and how much activity and engagement is going on in all corners of this denomination, and it's been something that's very humbling and inspiring to hear um and it's it's a real treat to get to share that um with our listeners and so nancy i would just ask you what are some of your hopes going forward for the podcast um how do you hope that it grows or changes in the coming year or so well, we hope to always build the listening base by having just people tell other people about us. And especially every time we tackle an individual episode, like uh, Offender Aid came to mind this past weekend, and I had one of our content providers actually come up and give a little piece of what her podcast had been in the middle of my sermon to the congregation. When you we hit an area like that, um, we could bring in another whole group of people that says, I'm passionate about this. Where are the other people that are passionate about it? And as we connect, we, we grow the movement of people just trying to follow the Jesus way. Um, some of them aren't, wouldn't even maybe call themselves Christians, but they recognize that Jesus brought something to the earth, a way to live that they want to live. And I have found that, you know, even going back in the writings of Gandhi, you know, he said, uh, you know, he, he didn't like the way the Christians live, but he loved our Christ because that was the way he wanted to live. So as we grow a movement, weren't we also growing people who are just trying to live that way? And can't that do, you know, what else could it do but better the world? Right. Ambitious, I know. It's a very <laughs> ambitious thought. But, you know, even our little corners of the world, and, and to give hope, like when I'm frustrated at what things are happening in Virginia, I can hear about what's going on somewhere else that says, wow, that really makes me feel better. Yeah. All right, so do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the episode that I've got lined up for you guys today? Yeah, you know, I was so encouraged. This was one of the episodes when you did part one of the Young Adult Conference that 
that gave me hope. As a as a no longer young adult by any means, I wonder what what is out there for the young adults. Do you feel discouraged? Is there a great level of frustration about the world you've inherited from my generation, or is there a sense of hope? You know what, and what brings that hope to you? I think that's the kind of questions that I find you are addressing and they were addressing in different ways, and that's what I want to hear more about. So yeah. what did you find, Emmett? Yeah, I think that that really hits the nail on the head. Um, when I found when I was conducting these conversations, I conducted these conversations at Young Adult Conference uh, in 2017 at Camp Harmony, um, and I actually came into the conversations pretty nervous um, a, just thinking that I'm facilitating an hour-long conversation and how is it going to go and are people going to participate and are they going to have things to say that are going to make for a compelling audio. And I was just blown away uh, by both conversations that I have. Um, I think the thing that I take away um, and take most heart in when I listen back to these conversations is how deeply um, these young adults that I spoke with uh, are thinking about our denomination, are thinking about just what it means to be a disciple of Christ in today's world. Um, I was I was stunned and impressed and, and really moved by by how much they're giving thought to that, how willing they were to have a very open and honest and frank conversation um, going forward. I I really have resolved from this that we need to be finding more ways in our denomination and our society at large to be involving young people in more of these conversations because when you give them the opportunity to speak. When you ask them what's on their mind, they really do step up and deliver. Yeah, I think it really um, just dis- disassembled every every stereotype there is out there about millennials, quote unquote, and um, the kind of the the shallowness of their um, behavior. Uh, if you can't listen to this conversation and come away thinking the same thing, absolutely, I, I found that too, and I thought. What what does it say that we're not hearing their voice more? Why why is that? And it's obviously because older adults are not making enough room for that voice and not inviting the voices of young adults. And without a doubt, that would be my emphasis from now on, to say where else can we invite the voice, invite the leadership of young adults who care passionately about where the church is going? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that 100%. Um, but I also like to find the challenge for myself in every uh, conversation that I have, and I like to pose the challenge uh, to our listeners. And so for our young adult listeners, I would just say, yeah, it's true that um, often the old guard hasn't given you the space, hasn't provided you that, that seat at the table. Um, but we've often seen in history that changes made when people – assert that position for themselves. Um, so I think it's true that, yeah, sometimes we ha- young adults aren't given the room that they need uh, in order to take leadership. But I would pose as a challenge to young adult listeners, especially of this podcast, um, to say, you know, you have the insight, you have the passion, and now it's, a ta- now it's time to assert your right and, uh, and, and take a spot at that table. And, of course, uh, my challenge to older listeners uh, would be, Think about ways that you can be creating that space and fostering young adult leadership. Yeah, what I have found in our congregation is that the older adults are more than willing, but they're waiting for the young adults to say something. So it's as soon as someone speaks up, as soon as someone expresses interest, 
there's a leadership spot that it will open up. And so maybe we're both waiting for each other, and it's definitely a time in this world with everything happening either in the church and outside the church for people with ideas and willingness to act to speak up. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. Um, rather than waiting for one another and each being coy and hoping that the other takes the first move, um, we're, we're, we're learning how to live in community, and we're learning how to uh, bring forward that, that core brother and value of community into the 21st century. And so um, one of the things that, that happens in a, you know, a healthy and flourishing community is those barriers of hierarchy and decorum and, um, and waiting for the other person to take the lead breakdown. And it's not about one person having leadership over another. It's about joining hand in hand and working to find solutions uh, in which you value each person's contribution. And I think that um, young adults certainly have the capability to bring forward those contributions. And I do genuinely believe that older adults um, have the willingness um, to, to foster that type of engagement. So if we break down those barriers, I think that amazing things are going to happen. And that's, that's what this conversation taught me. Yeah, I agree, Emmett, and, I, and you make a really good point that it's about the, the web and the circle of leadership, not a top-down hierarchy, and that's, that's the way we do our best in the church. Absolutely. All right, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So if we could just start by everyone saying their uh, name and what congregation they're from and what district they're from, um, I'll go ahead and start. My name is Emmett. I'm from the Holidaysburg Church of the Brethren, and I'm in the Middle PA District. My name is Thomas McMullen. I'm from the Silver Memorial Church of the Brethren in Moore, Iowa, and I'm part of the Northern Plains District. I'm Mackenzie Wilson from Palmyra Church of the Brethren from the Mid-Atlantic District, I think. Yes, I think so. <laughs> uh, Mark Pickens. I'm currently living in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, which is in Atlantic Northeast District. Right. And we're all at Young Adult Conference at Camp Harmony in the Western Pennsylvania District. Um, so could you guys just give me a sense of why you wanted to come to Young Adult Conference? Have you gone before? Is this your first time? Uh, have you been coming for many years? What keeps you coming back? So if you want to start. Mark. Okay, I'll, I'll start first. Well, I have been attending Young Adult Conference um, since 2009, every year except one year. Uh, there was a conflict with a family celebration that didn't work out one year, uh, but um, with that exception, uh, I've continued to come every year. Uh, I've also uh, been serving on the uh, Young Adult Conference Steering Committee, so uh, it's, it's been a, a joy and a privilege to be part of the leadership and the organization of planning this event, and then also to come the last three years, this one included, to be um, not just a leader, but a participant as well. So I recently moved 
to the Pittsburgh area, and Palmyra is in the eastern part of PA, so I haven't been able to go to a lot of functions, and I was really missing the the Church of the Brethren feel that's so charismatic of our denomination. And so when I saw that I would be able to come, I was like, yes, this is perfect. I can kind of reconnect again, meet people who I know just being Church of the Brethren already like, kind of reconnect with my faith and everything that this church embodies. And also get to see some of my friends from my congregation, too. Yeah, I came uh, because I won't be able to go to annual conference this year. Uh, and since I'm going to Bethany in the fall, I thought it'd probably be a good idea that I come to some denominational event. And, uh, and then just again, just to reconnect with everybody, um, see old faces, see new faces. I've been to camp. I've been to uh, Young Adult Conference before when it was at Camp Pine Lake in Eldora. Yeah, up in the Northern Plains District, um, but that was probably my f- first year out of high school, so it was just a, like a kind of a shock to come into a setting like this. And here I am, 19 years old, and yet people are married, and I don't have any of that mindset and everything. And I still don't at this point, but uh, but you just reconnect, and mm-hmm. and now this it's been you know four years on more mature, more life experience, been been better. So not not not, not just. As not just a culture shock. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of you guys talked about how this is a good opportunity to reconnect with um, the Brethren community. Um, whether or not you go to a Brethren congregation right now, you that's a part of you know your identity that you that you want to connect with in this sense. So, as young adults, what would you des- how would you describe what it means to be the Church of the Brethren community? Like, what are the fundamental values or aspects of the Church of the Brethren that keep you wanting to be involved? Yeah, I'll start. Uh, this kind of the slogan, the, the foundation of the church is simply peacefully and together. Uh, I think that our world lacks, not necessarily our world, but our country lacks that a lot. Uh, when we talk about conflict in our church, we talked about in the earlier session today about how do we understand people. I, and I, it's, it's pretty simple. We've gotten in such an individualistic society that our literacy of others, our knowledge of others and our backgrounds and Religious literally, religious literacy has suffered, and so that's why we have all this divide. Um, and just the knowledge, the foundational knowledge of of just being literate um, has really changed over the course of time. So I don't know if that's answered the question. But no, that's good. What was yeah. The question? So the question was, um, just how would you describe what it means to be a member of the Church of the Brethren? Like, what are the church's values that really stand out to you, or the Why do you identify that way? Being raised in Church of the Brethren has made me a very open person. Like, I I look at someone and I try not to make any kind of judgment on them. I want to get to know them before I put them into any category, even though you really shouldn't anyway. And that's one thing that's really helped me be a better person, be more culture even, is go out and experience the world and be open to any kind of opinions or cultures that you come into and peacefully simply together um, everyone is part of the same community whether you have a different race or, or creed or ideology and that's one of the main things that sticks out in the brethren way for me I would say for me one of the things that sticks out um, 
about the Church of the Brethren membership is um, I think our uh, theology as the church uh, being a people who believes in another way of living, uh, another way meaning uh, the way of Jesus, the way of, of Christ, taking the teachings of Jesus seriously to the point that um, when we carefully study the Gospels and really see um, what Jesus taught his um, first disciples, um, how to live as people in the world, yet people who, who act different, who behave different uh, than the way the world does, uh, it's a pretty radical way of thinking, not just a way of believing and way of living. Um, it, it really challenges us in how we understand ourselves more as products of our own culture, and yet, at the same time, products of a tradition uh, grounded in faith uh, that has stretched uh, now for over 300 years. And, uh, you know, if you really want to dig deeper into church history, uh, many people would say um, even back to the early stages of the church. So for me, um, going back directly to your question, I think it's more about, if I could phrase it maybe even more directly, um, it, it's, it's um, a radical image of discipleship and, 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 and what that uh, means for us as the church of the uh, for us as the church living in the world today. So uh, along those lines, when we use words like radical, um, often we describe our church as countercultural. Mm -hmm. um, we say, you know, kind of our, one of our informal catchphrases is another way of living, another like you mentioned. Living, yeah. um, so, what do you think is it that makes the Church of the Brethren really unique? Um, against other churches, but also, you know, just in comparison to the, the broader uh, American culture that we, that we live in? Well, I think for us, our teachings of simplicity, peace, community, uh, are very connected to our uh, identity as the priesthood of all believers, uh, according to our understanding of baptism, when we are baptized um, into the faith uh, or into faith, um, faith uh, in one sense has to do with our own individual faith, but we're also baptized um, into a community of faith. Uh, where we are now given the right hand of fellowship, we are welcomed as a brother or a sister uh, into the faith community, into the community of faith, and um, um, we are also um, taught that as a new believer, uh, baptized um, through the ordinance of baptism of Jesus, we now are given uh, spiritual gifts and talents and abilities that ordain us, so to speak. I'm using that term very loosely here, and yet maybe even maybe a little more seriously, according to Scripture. 
um, to serve the church and the wider community. So it's not just about the set-apart, ordained ministry as pastors, teachers, and evangelists, but understanding that we all have gifts, spiritual gifts and abilities uh, that are meant to build up the church and the body of Christ. So for me, again, understanding, uh, um, I think, our, our ordinances, our, our, our spirit um, gifts and ordinances such as baptism, uh, part of um, obedience uh, in discipleship um, then builds on teachings that lead to living simply and peacefully and together as community. Looking back into the Church of Brethren's history, like we were, we were founded by a group who wanted to actively choose Jesus and accept him when you could fully understand him. And that's something that sticks out to me because I have friends who have been baptized when they were babies, but they don't really understand just because that's how their church works. So having the option to actively learn, understand, and then make that decision to accept Jesus is pretty profound for me. And with that active choice, I think also branches out the action that the Church of the Brethren puts forth, we are one of the most active denominations while we're also one of the smallest. And that also says a lot for me. Like, growing up in the church, a lot of the stories, a lot of the the things we were taught were to live like Jesus. It's not just, praise God, hallelujah, he's great. Like, what can you do to help live out that that body of faith? Mm -hmm. And while we don't, we may not actively do it every day, I feel like a lot of us who have grown up in the Church of the Brethren just do little things subconsciously because that is what is ingrained in us to be the disciples of Jesus and live out our lives like we should, like he said we should. I agree with Mark and her too about just... You know, the church is supposed to be countercultural. That's that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, that's what believing in Jesus, the other way of living, he talked about Mark. That's what it is. And so to go against the grain of culture, the grain of the American culture is is what we're supposed to do. Um, one of the hardest things to do, but what we're supposed to do. You know, it's uh, so and the simply peacefully together. I mean. You just go around the denomination to all these camps, and you look at how simply some of these people live, some simply the camps are run, um, and it is just uh, I magnificent, I'll use that word, because we live in a consumeristic, you know, 80 or 85% of plastic that's created as one-time use that doesn't go away in the landfills. You know, and we just can't continue to do that, or we're just going to drown ourselves in plastic, and we'll be extinct in the next hundred years. So, to um, to understand living our faith out is extremely because I've talked to some people that go to some mega churches, and they're like, "Oh, I love, I love how what what ministries they do, what you know, what outreach." So you, I mean, but essentially, what they're doing is they're giving money, and they're hoping that it goes there. Whereas the Church of the Brethren, we kind of, 
we put a, we put our work where our mouth is essentially, and we go out and we do it. We not may not be able to financially, but being over in Nepal, they don't necessarily money can only go so far. They want us. That's what they really want. They don't want money. They want us. They want us to understand them, know us. They don't want money. Money might help them, but that's money is just a fictitious thing that us humans created. That uh, for means of trade, that's all it really is that we put value to. I mean, there's nothing more to it than that. So one of the things that I'm hearing from <clears throat> from all of you is that um, our tradition is something that stresses active action and mm-hmm. um, really embodying the, the values that we hear, and especially the ones that were taught from Jesus. Um, and I think Mackenzie, you made a really important point that. Sometimes that's in very big gestures, but sometimes that's just in the everyday way that you go about your life. Um, so what would you guys say are some of the some of the ways, big or small, that you try to embody um, the values that you're taught um, and the you know the principles that you learn as a member of the Church of the Brethren? I'm being pointed to here. Um, uh, could you ask the question one one more time? Yeah. So basically, just what do you what do you do? What do you think? For, I'll, I'll ask two kind of similar questions. First of all, what are some of the ways that you go about, in big or small ways, living out your values as a member of the Church of the Brethren? And then also, you know, we have a lot of young adult listeners. What do you think you would recommend for them to do um, as they're seeking to live into the Church of the Brethren tradition actively? Mm. Um, I think for me, it's... Um, it's very natural. I think it's always been natural to think um, uh, more broadly and more kind of you know big things. You know that's going to uh, kind of grab people's attention and kind of um, make a huge impact on society and the church and the world. Uh, um, but. Uh, the challenge, I think, is always, you know, how do you bring that down to a level that begins um, maybe in more smaller um, nuclear ways? It could be as simple as how to have a civil conversation with a family member or extended family member who you disagree with socially and politically speaking. Um, I've talked with some young adults who are one of the few Christians in their family. Uh, There aren't too many Christians in their family. And so to try to reason uh, the choice they're making in accordance to faith is a foreign language, foreign concept to their extended family who don't understand um, their reasoning, their rationale for doing what they're doing, for living the way they're living. Um, For me, personally, um, having a conversation with my extended family can be a challenge because we are at very different stages of our faith development, faith journey, our discipleship, how we understand Jesus, how we understand um, following Jesus is very different. Um, Now, I say that in one sense, but I also caution myself in saying that because I would not want to say something to question their faith 
or their commitment to Jesus because I know that oftentimes they would want to do that to me because I disagree with them on something. So obviously the tendency is if you don't agree with me, well... I know, I'm not even sure if you could call yourself a Christian, you know. I mean, is it right that a Christian or, you know, it, it, would a Christian ask questions like this? Um, and so we need to be careful with how we direct questions like that, keeping some people in mind without taking it into account for ourselves and recognizing our own potential for um uh, being guilty of that as well. So, again, uh, I think one of the uh, smaller ways we can really um, embody what we what we're talking about here, um, the teachings of Jesus, how to be the church, how to be countercultural, uh, can be as simple as how we how we have a civil conversation with our family and friends um, who don't who who are not where we are socially and politically and theologically. Um, uh, that's what I would suggest maybe kind of one example of a small thing uh, I don't know if you want me to share about a, a, a bigger idea um, I think I would like to hear from the other two people here at the table but um, I, can, I can certainly share more if you'd like yeah maybe we'll come back yes. to that thing. one of the smallest things that I have found that really kind of gets to the heart of everything is just a smile because I, I went on a vacation to the Bahamas in 2010. And the Bahamas' in, whole industry is essentially tourism. They don't really have anything else they can do with their land or industry. And because of that, they have developed such a fantastic way of connecting with people. And half the time, it was just a genuine smile and genuinely wanting to know, how are you? How are you doing? What's What's your favorite part of this? And just entering into a conversation. And coming back from that trip, I realized that we often just go around giving those pinched half smiles, saying hello, and using how are you as a greeting. For me, when I ask someone how are you, I genuinely mean I want to know how you're doing, and I want a real answer. Like, mm-hmm. if you're doing poorly, I want to be there for you to help you out. And that kind of stems from the the caring um, relationship that the church has brought me up in and having those conversations that really do mean something to that person, not just small talk. I'm not one for small talk. I want to actually get into your brain or like see what your view is on the world because that's what, what that is what will open doors mm-hmm. to expanding past these walls and these borders that kind of block up the different categories of our nation and our world. So that can all start with one smile and one genuine question. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the question is, how do you go about embodying, yeah. uh, in big ways or small ways, the you know the, the lessons of Jesus, the teaching and the love of Jesus, but yeah. also the values that you learn as a member of the church? Just um, being at the church is rather so diverse. Yeah. It's, um, and that we've kind of embodied that, we've embodied the change over time, we've embodied kind of how the country, the United States has changed, how, um, and I think we've moved along very well, uh, but just the um, level of respect, I think, um, for everybody, and, and realizing that, I'm um, thinking beyond yourself, and realizing that 
really all have a purpose. Um, if if uh, Joe sits in the pew ahead of me isn't there, then who's the firefighter? Then and he's no longer there. We would all have firefighter. Kind of one of those type of things. But everybody kind of has a role in the community, just like everybody, every animal, every species has a role in the in the natural world. Same type of deal. And just being respectful and mindful of other people. That doesn't mean being fair, because I think if you're fair, you're being disrespectful to them. And what I mean by that is, not everybody, if you treat everybody fair, you treat everybody the same. Everybody doesn't need to be treated the same. You need to be respectful and mindful, because some people need to be treated in a different way at a different time. It's all situational based. I don't mean to be that, like, I get the whole fair, but... I think if you're being fair, then you're not you're not showing pe- people your potential of respect, or you're lacking of it. That's essentially what I mean. So, um, but just being respectful, mindful of everybody, and that's something that I believe Jesus uh, has taught us, and that's something that going to annual conference coming here, uh, just since church has has been kind of not forced out of hope, but we've been very very. Um, in, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's been ingrained in our in our minds and our bodies. So, yeah. Uh, so when you when you talk about being fair, it sounds to me like what you mean is, um, you know, there's there's this idea of fairness that like everybody you're gonna give everybody equal time yeah. when you're talking to them because you know everybody needs to be treated equally that way. But what you're saying is that. Um, if one person has a need that they need that you know you need to sit down with them for fifty minutes, yeah. you shouldn't be saying, "Well, I can only talk to you for five minutes because exactly. I have to talk to someone yeah, else." Yeah, exactly. Minutes. That's kind of what I mean. I'm just not the you know if, if that's a pro- one of the other problems because we think everything has to be the same. We think every every we we put this one for like in education, we put a standard of testing in, and it's going to be good for. I mean, that's why we are where we are. If you look at our rankings of the world as far as education, because we try to make things the same, and it backfires. So. If you try, if you treat people, everybody like like if you if you allow ten minutes for everybody, then eventually it's going to backfire because some people don't need ten minutes. Some people need fifteen minutes, like you said. So, so um, I mean, I think that one of the things that I'm hearing is one of the ways that um, we embody these values is by being very attuned, very personable about what what are what are people's needs and and their thoughts and their desires and. And how do we approach that compassionately and openly? Um, so one of the things that I think um, often I hear people talk about in the Church of the Brethren as being very important is listening. Um, so what do you guys say about what are the best ways to have a very empathetic and um, genuine, sincere posture of listening? How do we how do we begin? How do we go beyond just hearing someone, but actually listening and under, for understanding? Um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I'll start. You can just kind of drop yourself, your ego, everything at the door when you walk in. Uh, and just be mindful of them. Sit in a good posture, uh, which I don't always do very often sometimes. Uh, and that's probably not a good answer, but just just realizing that just thinking beyond yourself and thinking, just listening and not thinking, oh, I have to respond to this or I have to put my two cents in. Just listening. Going off of that, um, 
I keep a little quote book in my phone of the things that I hear and that I like. So it's interesting that you point this up. But a quote from Stephen Covey, not sure who he is, but he said this: um, Most people do not listen with the intent to understand; they listen with the intent to reply. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think one of the things that makes for a good listening community is you sit down and you listen to what they're saying, you try to understand it, and you're not thinking of something to contradict or maybe even like expand on even further, but to I guess you do want to expand on it. Further. Say if, we, if we say something right now, then yeah. <laughs> you, you do want to expand on it further, but you want to keep it going and not truncate any of the branches that might come off of that. You don't want to negate anything mm-hmm. that's coming out. So that's why in the church, like with my church, we almost all of our Sunday schools, you sit in a circle and you have a discussion and it kind of it pings off of everything and you return to those old points, those old branches. And mm-hmm. we never try and cut anyone off from a topic or even from speaking. Mm-hmm. So, Listening with the intent to understand, not, because, for, not just replying. Because silence is okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think silence uh, is very uncomfortable for many people. Um, it's not really something I... I'm not sure silence is really a cultural value um, for many people. For, for some, it is. Um, and this is one of the things I think we can certainly do a better job at, uh, I think when we begin, uh, open spaces that where, where conversation discussion is welcomed. I think, uh, certainly in leadership, it is, uh, important to, um, to articulate that if there's ever a time where you're asked a question or, you don't know how to respond to someone's response or comment or question, it is more than okay to be silent, even for a moment. Allow yourself to gather your thoughts, take a breath. Um, maybe even if you don't know what to say, it's okay to say, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. Now, oftentimes know. expressing that you're like, I'm not, I can't, think of how further to go and that will help yes. someone else give you yes. either time or help elaborate. Yes. And maybe and, and maybe that is another option right there. Uh, by by um, interjecting uh, a question as part of a response. You know what? I liked what you said, but I'm not quite sure I understood it. Could you repeat that again? Or could you say what you said again? Um, you know, so like a question like that. Or, or could you elaborate a little more on what you just said? Because um, I think that invites more, at least for me, it also shows an example, it demonstrates active listening. I want to hear a little more intently what you're, what you're saying. I'm trying to understand a little more what you're saying, um, rather than to assume I know when the reality is I may not know and I may think I know when I really don't know. Um, and, and so that's, I think, I think another way to embody listening um, in that way. And, and, and what I really liked, uh, Mackenzie, what you mentioned, um, how, how, we, how listening requires 
truly taking in what we hear with understanding, not just uh, as we're as we appear to hear, we're preparing mentally for our response or our comeback, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it becomes, you know, yeah, it becomes even even harder. And even going back to asking the person to elaborate. If you picked up something else in what they said that they didn't realize that could be interpreted that way, that opens a whole other set of doors of, oh my gosh, that can go that way too. And it's expanding on all those different views and how people see things. Yes. Yes. So at, at the same time as we um, seek to be very engaged and compassionate and um, active listeners, we also have a, um, a a very strong stance in our denomination of advocating for justice, of standing up for the marginalized and the weak. And um, sometimes people put those as opposing objectives, which I think is a false choice, and I'm sure you probably agree as well. Um, but how do you how do you integrate um, advocacy and being really um, firm about standing up for people that you know need uh, to be stood up for and, and standing up for important values. How do you balance that with um, listening? Or how, or how do those two values work together, compat- uh, you know, they're compa- um, compatible instead of being, you know, two values that run contrary to one another? One of the things I try to do, and um, I think one of the things that is very central to who we are as Church of the Brethren, is to engage in these topics, certainly when it comes to social justice and reaching out to people who are marginalized and even being advocates, uh, justice advocates, uh, for people who are marginalized. And at the same time, making sure their voices are are heard or, or, or listened to, whether they're physically... Uh, present with us in the room at the moment, or if they're not, you know, that we can actually speak on their behalf if, if we're able to do that. For me, it's also, um, it's not just an issue of justice, it's an issue of faith. Uh, this is where my faith as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, um, this is what makes me countercultural to the world. This is what makes me different. This is what makes, this is what sets me apart from my um, from my counterpart outside the church who, like me, is equally um, active in advocating social justice. Um, you do not have to be an active justice per, uh, individual um, and be committed to your faith. Um, but for me, as a member of the church, as a follower of Jesus, my faith teaches me I must stand up for justice, social justice. So um, I would engage um, this this conversation with people um, from a faith point of view um, and build on that foundation um, how we um, stand with our brothers and sisters, uh, whether they belong to our faith or our faith tradition or not um, um, and uh, help to enable them, empower them uh, accept them um, for who they are 
Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, you made a lot of really great points, but I think that one of the really, really insightful ones that I heard from you was the first one you made, which is that um, often we have this idea of, you know, it's a one-on-one conversation, and so either you're listening or you're speaking, but so often what is actually the case is you're at a table, and often when I'm sitting in a meeting or if I'm in a group conversation and there's one person that's very quiet, when I take the time to listen to them, everyone takes the time to listen to them. Yes. And so it's not just about us advocating for people on the margins, but when we use listening, um, then that, beca- that becomes a form of advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's one that I think becomes more powerful because you're giving um, people the right to speak for themselves. And I think that was a really excellent point. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about um, how you balance listening and um, having these, these strong faith principles that you want to stand behind? I think Mark covered, like, listening to that specific person really well. But in also in the case where you are advocating for them, mm-hmm. it goes back to understanding. You need to understand every aspect of what their plight is. You may not mm-hmm. have experienced it right. yourself, but mm-hmm. if you can listen and ask questions and get every little aspect, you can better relay that to everyone else mm-hmm. and find something that, really connects with everyone else because I can say, oh, there's a homeless person living down the street right. and he's hungry all the time. You can be like, oh, okay. But if you give more details and be like, this is this is truly what is happening and these are the things that he wants and what he wants to bring to the rest of the world but can't because of his position right now, mm-hmm. then you will be able to give people more incentive to join the cause and to yes. really step up and be an advocate themselves and in the church of way, do something about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, no, go ahead. I need to check in. Do you know where we check in? Uh, you might want to go back into this office ah. and ask. But <laughs> no worries. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you said, Mackenzie, because I think it does. It, it's also a way, I would add to what you shared, it's also a way for us to help um, restore uh, people's humanity to them um, because uh, unless we say um, get as much information from them as we can and then advocate on their behalf or present you know information to other people at the table if they're not able to be present you know uh, they could just be another homeless person as you as, as the example that you used whether if we use a name like um, Bob or Susie, suddenly um, they're not the homeless person uh, on, living on the street. Now they have a name. Um, we've given them that name, and, and that's one step to um, restoring them, uh, you know, their humanity as a, a way of of of, 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 of uh, giving them back a sense of respect and dignity. Um, so, yeah. God, you guys said so much good stuff. Uh, just, <laughs> just being authentic, I think, is another thing. Uh, giving authentic presentation of which what you see, if it's social justice issues, if that's what you're talking about. Uh, being authentic, uh, giving real examples, giving examples in your own community, because a lot with social issues, social justice, or even. We don't think it happens in our community. We think, oh, we live in this community. We think we're not necessarily too good, but it, it could never happen. And 
lo and behold, it does. And I don't know if that's a good answer. Well, yeah, it's often usually all around you, yeah. but unless someone gives, opens that door for you to yeah, see it, yeah. you're not. You may not ever actually see it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So we we as each other can provide each other opportunities for growth and for uh, different perspectives about kind of the the world the I guess not the world is it's too broad but like the humanistic world we live in the the human side of the world we live in so so let's um let's turn to talking about what it means um as a young adult fitting into denominational life um obviously we talk a lot about what we do as members of the church to serve the world outside of the church um and that I think ought to be our focus but at the same time the church itself has a lot of important conversations that it's grappling over. It has its own struggles. Um, and so what do you guys think, what do you think your role is in the church as young adults in taking part of these conversations and helping shape the church's future? I think one of the things as young adults is we have such a different perspective than a lot of the older generations. Like, we're growing up with technology. We see some more of the social injustices that they may not be as apt to see. Um, A lot of them definitely do, but we can give a different idea about it. And I wasn't sure where I was really going with that. But just having that different point of view will really help to kind of glue all of the pieces together. Because generations have so many different aspects of them that if we put them all together, it can really work. Okay. Um, could you repeat the question? You start listening with and with oh, an I totally, to understand I, it. I then totally you forget. Yeah. Well, this is a way to do active listening. Could you just ask the question again? I don't want to pretend I remember yeah, what the question is. No, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be embarrassed at all to ask the question again. I think that's good. Um, so the question is, obviously we talked a lot about what it means to serve yes. outside of the church, but the church itself is something that we're a part of, and the church has a lot of tensions and struggles that it's dealing with. It also has a lot of, you know, it has a lot of obstacles in its future. So how do we as young adults fit into participating in those conversations and working to shape the church's future? Hmm. I think, uh, well... I think one of the uh, the opportunities for us is to be present where the church is. I heard a, um, a pastor recently say this, and I, I and this is something that has stuck in my mind recently. And I think this really kind of uh, invokes more young adult participation. It doesn't have to be limited to only young adult participation, but it certainly calls us to be active participants. Um, so giving attention to where the church is currently right now and then asking the question, where do we envision the church to be? Where do we want it to be? And then, um, then the third question is, how do we get from where we are to where we want to be? How do we get there? And then, you know, how do we, how, how do we, uh, how are we going to be a part of that? Um, and, um, for some of us, that's, that's a a struggle, um, because there are many young adults who are no longer active in 
their church. Uh, they still claim their church membership, but there's there's a perspective on you know well the church doesn't have anything for me or I don't really feel like I'm I'm being heard or I'm taken seriously. There's really nothing for me right now. Um, and um, and while I certainly want to, while I certainly am sensitive to that perspective, and and I'm open to you know people's different experiences because everyone has different experiences. Um, I'm also curious about how what we can do if we were simply to show up and be present. Uh, as much as we want to recognize diversity and. And, and, and acknowledge it and celebrate it, how could, um, what would it mean for us to show up, be among a minority, I guess, if you will, within a particular context like our own churches, our own local churches, being one of the few young people, if you will, uh, because, you know, as young adults, um, I recently had a conversation with someone, I was trying to be very active in in um, reminding them and kind of model for them by saying young adult, young adult, young adult, because they kept on saying young people, young people, young people. And I hear young people so many times when people refer to youth. And, you know, in the church, you know, there's youth and then there's young adults. And, uh, you know, I, I was very patient with this individual as I was talking on the phone to them because, I you know, I just I remember very vividly they just kept on saying young people, young people. And I would then say something and I'd say young adult, young adults. So I was trying to model this, hoping that they would catch on, uh, but they never did. And I think this is a good example of... Uh, for many of us, for many young adults, you know, we're we're not considered part of the uh, the adults, uh, if you will, of the church. Uh, we're still considered young, and I think um, I think the church has to examine uh, its own treatment of how you know, in, in in creating spaces, what we what we've just been talking about here. Does the church actually um, actively make way for young adult leadership participation, and, and if so, how? But then are young adults doing their part in encouraging this and, tr- and, and, and working towards having conversations uh, in the church for this? Uh, because I think we also need to be accountable to that as well, and not just expect that other leaders are, you know, should come to us and ask us. You know, I think we also need to be active in pursuing this at the same time. That's, that's just a little bit what I have to say. And going off of that, a lot of it has to do with finding your identity. Yes. Personally, what you want to get out of church, but also what you want the church to recognize you as. Mm-hmm. And maybe how you can contribute. Yeah, so as a young adult, we have lots of different kinds of strengths, Mm -hmm. and identifying those and what kind of role you want to put them in will greatly help in the next step of actually building up the church and being that active young adult who can bring some new perspectives and be the future because that is what we are. I agree. I was thinking about something that Mark said, and then I totally forgot it because I was like, if I'm thinking about something, I'm not listening to him. Uh, Yeah, I I would just say, as a young person, just to 
not necessarily bridge the gap, but just be able to, I mean, we're young, we have a lot of energy, I mean, I don't have a lot of energy, I still feel like I'm 15 years old, but, uh, but, uh, just that we can provide for our church and for our denomination as a way of connecting people, connecting those generations uh, together, because I know my grandma said stuff about this, about people my age are a little bit older, well, they don't, they think they know everything, kind of, and they don't want to listen to people that are in their late 60s, 70s, 80s, that have had all that life experience that you can learn by a lot from them. And so, I'm not saying that's every, but I'm just saying that's what she's dealt with sometimes, and so, just to kind of get rid of that notion, because people that are older, I know we have adults we're talking about before, but they have so much knowledge and wisdom and that you can learn from, and to be able to use that to our advantage to help the future of the church, because they've lived through a lot, you know, they've seen how the church has changed or stayed the same um, over time, and so those are just vital aspects, mm-hmm. because not any, I mean, how you go through life is you learn from others, or you learn by doing. You don't necessarily. Oh, I just dropped up here one day, and I know how to cook. I know how to clean. I know how to tie my own shoes. I know how to um, balance a checkbook. Balance a checkbook. <laughs> yes. You don't do that all in one. You learn over time. You learn by doing. You learn from other people, mm-hmm. and that's how you go through life. Nobody yeah. has everything day one. Right. No, everybody has any. Nobody has anything they want. So, All right. so let's just wrap up by. Um, we'll have a quick lightning round. <laughs> um, so you'll get two sentences. Okay. And the first sentence um, is what What about the Church of the Brethren speaks most dearly in person to you? Like, what is it about the Church of the Brethren that you treasure so much? And then, second of all, second sentence is where do you want to see the church go? In, in your lifetime as a member of this of this church, um, so I know that's very hard. So I'll I'll start, and then we'll just go counterclockwise around the table. Um, so what is really dear and precious to me about the Church of the Brethren is this piece about discipleship. Um, I, I really agree that we have this other way of living, um, and, and I think that's very unique and special about about this denomination. And where I want to see the church go is I think we have a ton of great traditions and a really tremendous faith heritage, but I think we need to learn more about how to bring that heritage into the 21st century um, and, and be innovating it to, to fit our new context and our political moment and our social um, environment. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. How about you go? Uh what I really like about the church is that the first question. Yeah, like about the church, okay. uh, like about the church is just be humble and put your head to the grindstone and just grind. Uh, that I see the church. I mean, we're very humble uh, and just go discipleship. That's basically what it means. And then the second thing, um, where I want to see the church, we have tremendous, tremendous talent in this denomination, and we're not very good about being evangelical either. So to use those two things together, that's what I see. Um, one of the most important things for me is the sense of community that Church of Brethren brings, not just in their own churches, but embracing those around them and 
helping them in some way, whether that be faith or food or just knowing someone's there for them. And then I'd like to see it go forward in a way that um, we can settle our differences in a complete fashion so that maybe not everyone's appeased, but everyone can compromise and be content and take the next step forward to make a better church and we can spread that but also make sure we have all of our stuff together. I would say the thing I think I like most about the Church of the Brethren is, again, I think our commitment to um, our commitment to radical discipleship, to um, the way of Jesus, peacefully, simply, together. Um, and that identity uh, is not something that um, basically described itself at one point in history and then, as a former professor of mine then said, um, was set in stone, um, and that includes our polity. What it says right now is not set in stone. In other words, it is open for constant critical reflection, examination, and rewriting um, over and over again. So I think, um, Emmett, what you said, what uh, the others have said as well, um, how we can continue to uh, keep our identity, not just as members of the Church of the Brethren, but as followers of Jesus, as Christians, but then also uh, recognize our own history, but then the time we're living in, and how we can maintain our core values and beliefs as central to they are to the gospel, and allow those to be the force that then leads to change, change within ourselves, change within our church, and change in society. Um, and, if, and when we see that happen, there's a lot of hope and opportunity for, for growth um, that also includes spiritually. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Welcome. There you have it. I hope that you've really enjoyed listening to this episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. Um, like Nancy and I talked about at the beginning of this episode, it's just remarkable to hear what young adults in this denomination have to say. Um, I hope that uh, if there's church leaders listening to this podcast, you really begin to think about how you can be involving young adults, extending that invitation, because when we feel like we have an opportunity to get involved, I think you're going to be really impressed and pleased with the results that you get. And of course, I also have a challenge for my fellow young adults, which is to say, don't wait for that invitation to be extended, because as you all know, all too often it never will be. It's on us to step up. 
We're not just the future of the church. We're the present of the church, too. We're part of this community. We have every right to be at the table. And, in fact, we do have a responsibility to be at the table. The church needs our vibrance, our ideas, our forward-looking vision. The church needs our energy and our participation. And we owe owe it to ourselves, and we owe it to our brothers and sisters in community to be there, to be involved, to be a part of this church. So this is my final challenge. Get involved. Don't wait for an invitation. Be gracious about it, but be assertive about it too. Step up and ask what you can do to contribute to the life of the church. Thank you so much for listening. podcast is produced by a team of contributors from all across the United States. My name is Emmett Eldred, and I'm your host along with Nancy Fitzgerald, who you heard at the beginning of the episode. Our music is by Jacob Krauss, and this episode was produced by Emmy Gehring. Our executive producer is Susan Lamb.